You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. Hey guys, welcome to the after laugh. I am really excited to have this next guest. I know I say that a lot, but I'm, I'm not lying this time. And I've been begging you for a while. I have you do. You, you seem really sincere about this too. Like I, I, am. Know, I don't know if people at home can see you, but you like I could tell you really meant it. No, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan, man. I was wow. really. Uh, this is Danny Zucker, by the way, everyone. And Hi, if everyone. You don't know Danny Zucker? You gotta you gotta get ensconced in his bibliography and his biography and everything he does. <laughs> he's a he's a quite quite a um, Renaissance man. I know? really am. I'm a you really are. I'm a painter. <laughs> A dancer. You're a dad, and you're a father of three. I read. I'm a father of three boys, girls, uh, twin girls, and uh, and a son. So I have I have uh, I have all of them. Yeah. Well, let's just be honest. Good thing you got a son, right? Well, I was more nervous about having a son because I was like, I'm barely a man um, in so many ways, which is great. Yeah. So I um, like I yes I was uh, um, yeah not the most macho guy, and uh, uh, most of my interests are gay. Except for except for the main interest that you, would make yeah. you gay, yeah. but um, yeah, me too. I was often called. You know, they say it does. They say it gets better for gay kids, and well, I had a lot of gay friends growing up because they said we shared interests. But um, I'm not sure it gets better for the kids who are just called gay who are not uh, <laughs> who are not gay. Oh, believe me, I was. Uh, I was back like, to what you're saying about how your interests are gay. I used to do a joke about when I first went to New York for graduate school for acting. Yeah, um, I was a big rollerblader. Oh my gosh, and I was really fit. Yeah. So I'd ro- and I moved to Chelsea as my first residence. Okay. So I would rollerblade my tank top every day, and guys would look at me and I'd be like, "Are they trying to start a fight? Like, what's going on? Why are these guys?" I had no idea that I was gay bait, a hundred percent. Wow, that's uh, good. And for I was in theater too. You know, yeah, no, I mean? that's where I was. I was like, I was in musical theater. I loved you were music- it at Syracuse. Yeah. No, I was in. This is more in high school, though. I did it a little bit in Syracuse. I moved more into comedy in college. So you could sing then. I can sell a song. I'm not a great singer. <laughs> I can Rex Harrison a song for you, but uh, okay, that's fair. And but, uh, what, what were your favorite productions that you did? Um, I don't. I mean, I uh, God, what were some of the ones that I did? I loved uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. That's a great musical. I mean, come on! I made yeah. me want to be Catholic. I was not raised Jewish. Like I had no. Yeah, because you are Jewish, but I, 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 I was. Ra- I, yeah, I am Jewish. I did not. Um, was very like we had a Christmas tree. I basically really kind of fully understood I was Jewish when some I, I, I was a musician too I played bass in little bands and I was like 11 or 12 and some a kid from the next town over his older brothers called me a dirty Jew oh my god and I said I'm not a dirty Jew and he said you are and then I got in a fight with him and my mom had to come over and um, say hey, you are a dirty. Jew. I said, "Tell him I'm not a dirty Jew," and she, you know, like you're not dirty. And it was yeah. weird. Like the minute I found out I was Jewish, that was wait, you that really was, did that was that, the, you... that was the last fight I was ever in. Like I understood that I I didn't understand that like being Jewish was a th- like a, a historical thing. Like because I I was never bar mitzvah. And we were raised completely agnostic. I had no religion whatsoever yeah. growing up, which is honestly like really the trend for most. Jews in America they're well, very secular it, it definitely was but what, this is a long way of getting to like when I was in Jesus Christ Superstar and I grew up in Jersey and like most of my friends were Italian Catholics and yeah. at the time now my town is mostly Jewish where I grew up but at the time it was probably half Italian half Jewish and my friends were mostly Italian and I just sort of like and then when I did Jesus Christ Superstar I thought oh man yeah Catholicism is the thing for me <laughs> so but, you really do you really want to convert I, I, I thought about because all my girlfriends were Catholic I thought like okay this is this, this is some cute Catholic girls maybe. yeah yeah, and I always like, and I to this day I have a you know all the long relationships in my life were with lapsed Catholics. Is your current my, my wife? Wa- yes, I mean we're we're at the moment separated. That's been oh, okay. a fun development over this last year, but we're really tight. But yes, we've been twenty four years of marriage and success. No matter what you would say, of course. I mean, of course, you gotta take the win there. Yeah, of course um, you take yeah, the win. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, but um, and yeah, you have three kids I, who aren't in jail. I have three kids who aren't in jail. I have, uh, yeah, I, like I said. Yeah, uh, three, three, three children. I are they a, in college or what? what? Um, my my twin girls are just out, um, uh, and um, my uh, uh, my son is uh, beginning his sophomore year at UCLA. And by at UCLA, I mean in, in, a, in an apartment in Westwood, uh, you know, taking classes online. Oh, take, of course, yeah. And does your son want to get in entertainment? No, I, I think I um, I, 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 I take <laughs> I, I take it as a uh, 
a, a sign of really good parenting that none of my children had uh, show business aspirations. Absolutely. I think it goes without saying that if you are an actor or a comic, something wrong happened in your PSA yeah, cognitive no. development. No, I know. I mean, it's like, it's very... Uh, I'm just going to open up some water as I do this. Hold on. I should have mic stands, but I... You alas. should. This is really... Uh, <laughs> Unprofessional. It's like camping. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's... Um, I always viewed like having like a kind of a, a, a father who withheld affection um, <laughs> as a huge advantage for my comedy career. You know, yeah. everything has been still trying to get his attention. So of course. And so uh, do you remember the first time you, your dad said he was proud of you? Because um, I feel like that's always a big moment in a boy's life. Even my dad, I'm, my dad's like, by the way, my dad's a hardcore Republican. <laughs> This is not a funny story, but on his deathbed, <laughs> he kind of did. So that was nice. Um, you know, I it was interesting. My dad was a, a difficult personality type, but not of the greatest uh, relationship. But when he died and I saw, you know, he had saved everything I'd ever written wow. from like elementary school on. And you had and no idea. Until no then. idea. My mom, who was like, I, mean, I too, you know, I, I, I had a dad who sort of acted like he didn't want anything to do with me. And I had a mother who was like, I think in love with me. Um, yeah. And you know, she's still alive. Were uh, you an only child? No, I was the oldest, but, hmm. um, uh, uh, and, and the favorite. Uh, Which but, is rare because I'm the youngest and I'm the favorite. Yeah, no, I just I, I think part of it is I'm just so amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was the only boy thing. Maybe it's because it was like you know they're yeah. old school, and uh, I don't know. Maybe there was that. But I mean, I don't think I don't think I'm my mom's favorite anymore. But I was for a very long time. Wait, why not? Uh, my sisters have been much better at keeping keeping up keeping up they uh, with her. So that's good. Yeah, that's now you said. You were always interested in comedy. Uh-huh. Always. Always. Did you do stand-up? Was that part I did. of the journey? I did. I did. This is like, I remember like, you know, people, like, I've never wanted to do anything other than comedy um, for as long as I can live. And I'm about to tell you the most Jewish thing about me where I should have known I was Jewish, but my, uh, my grandfather, my mom's father, was a bartender in the Catskills. Oh, at, wow. at some like Jew hotel. In fact, when I was there once, I got in trouble because I saw a Hasidic Jew and I called him Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> but I was there and I'm sitting in the bar in the afternoon. My grandfather's cleaning up the bar and uh, this guy, this really flashy guy with wide lapels comes in and starts telling me jokes. And his name was, uh, I'll never forget his name. His name was Van Harris. Van uh, probably his real name was like Shlomo Lichtenstein, <laughs> you know, but he, but he was, uh, um, and he started telling me jokes and it was like, and he's like, you know what I do for a living? He's like, well, I'm a comedian. And I was like, what's that? It's like, I get paid to make people laugh. And I was like, oh, and I, like the, 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 everything opened up for me. It's like, I could not believe it. My dad, will do you this time? maybe like six and my, oh, wow. my dad who is you know a successful businessman um, I, I felt sorry for him. I was like did you not know this job exists yeah, you're in the matrix dad yeah, yeah I mean you could do this yeah and so yeah so I uh, so my my story was either going to be incredibly uh, a happy story which I think most of my life has been that way or um, a miserable story because I, I it's like it's really all I wanted to do I mean and it's you know it's I, you know so I I think I'm I think I'm good at it but I'm also uh so I mean that's not enough. I got really lucky a, n a number of times, and and oh come on, don't play no it one down. who makes it is not lucky. A little bit of luck for sure. You have to. I mean, you have to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. But I was uh, I was definitely lucky. And also, you know, you you got into the business without the nepotism that so many people no have. No, my dad was he wasn't he could Doug Doug Zucker couldn't help me with anything. Yeah. You know, and when I first came out here, it was like, because Zucker's like a big comedy name. It was yeah. like there was Jerry and David Zucker and then... No relation, though. No. Um, and I spell mine with no C. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was like some, and that I, that didn't get me anything. And like, but then there was Adolf Zucker, uh, who founded Paramount. And then, and then Jeff Zucker, God forbid. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it was a very big uh, name. But uh, no, I didn't. I just, uh, I just made it through... Uh, I blew a lot of guys. Getting back to that, I uh, I do. I'm not gay, but I didn't. I know the. I mean, come on, that's the game. I right? know the ins and outs of a blowjob. Let's put it that way. So you after so high school musical theater, you were that kid, and and yeah, and from the time it was like, um, 
I guess I started when I was 17. I would just kind of go in. I grew up in New Jersey, a town called Livingston, about 20 minutes outside the Lincoln Tunnel. And I would just go in and I would do the open mics in New York. Which, uh, Catch Rising Star? Or yes, Catch. The first one I ever did was the comic strip um, uh-huh. uh, and, and the improv. And um, At so- 17? Yeah, at seventeen. So I was, you're not technically allowed to be doing no, it. No, no. I and I, you know, I, I've continued the. Uh, I'm 56. I look 80. I, that trend has continued. Because um, you, you looked, you looked when older I, when you. I were, did. I looked a little bit older. I mean, not. You always had a deep voice too. I did. I always had a deep voice, and uh, um, and so. Uh, yeah, so I, I kind of pushed my way in, and again at the time the drinking age was eighteen. Oh yeah. So that was like so I could kind of I could kind of do it, and then I wound up the only um, Catch Rising Star. I never I never passed there, but right before I went off to college, they um, Silver Friedman passed me at the at the Improv. By the way, I, I should let you know I was terrible. I was like a complete <laughs> hack. I never ever found my voice. It was kind of a novelty that I was young, but all of my joke. I mean, it's just it was it was just terrible. And um, and I and you know I remember I got I was good enough that like in college I could go do little gigs here and there and get money for drugs and trips. And, <laughs> but it was I was never very good. And when I got out of college, I thought, okay, let's hit the stand up scene. Yeah, yeah, let's go. And I was just like. And, you know, and I, I, it was four years of no writing or no, nothing interesting, not discovering my voice. And I, I just, I stopped. I, I, I wasn't good. And I really started, I wound up going, I, I, I wanted to write. Yeah. But, um, I just didn't go back. I've only recently started doing stand up again. Which oh, is really? Yeah. Yeah. Just here and there. Oh, that's amazing. So, well, don't, don't stop. Of course. No, no. I love it. I yeah. love it. And now what's different now is like, it's just like, I really do have a little bit of that. I don't give a shit about yeah. it because um you know what do you, I, at the time I, mean, I remember the first time i ever got paid to do stand-up was like ten dollars to a and club. you were in college at the time or just i was in high school, you were in high school. Uh, yeah so it was like off of that's a it, huge moment by the way for any comic the first time you get paid it's like oh my god and i ate it i died <laughs> and i never and i because i had gotten by i done i had gotten you know i somehow at these audiences it had generous audiences and then I yeah, got, they're not going to be shitty to a 17-year-old kid. I think that's what it was. But then I got hired at a place out in Long Island in Rosalind. Like, somebody was there. Oh, yeah, come on out. We're doing a thing. And we have, like, five comics. And, like, it was, like, $10, you know, or something like yeah. that. But it still it was like, oh, this is it. And I went out there. And I got up. And they hated me from the second I got on stage. I never experienced that. I had 10 minutes. I probably got through seven. And it was one of these clubs where, like, you, the way you get to and from the it's stage through the is through the audience. Oh, and I did not make it halfway through <laughs> the crowd before the tears started to come down my eyes. Oh my God. And then I, I, I just cried all the way back home to New Jersey, which is like a, you know, a 50 minute drive. And did you keep, I mean, those are usually the moments where people either quit or they double down. No, it wasn't like, I just, um, I cried a lot. And then I just started doing it again in college. And I just said, okay, I can never go back here. I, and anybody who ever saw me at that club, I would actually have to find and kill. That was like <laughs> what I sort of, that was my. Uh, well, you know, I, the thing that got me through bombing was the idea that, okay, I'm bombing in front of people who I wouldn't even want to have coffee with. Oh, that's so good. why the fuck do I care? Yeah, I didn't have that kind of security. I mean, I simultaneously think I'm better than every, everyone. I, I was once uh, um, uh, in a... Uh, in a 12-step I meeting, that's a different story, but, um, um, and somebody's described themselves, which really described, like, okay, describe yourself, and she said, I'm a piece of shit that the world revolves around. That's awesome. And it just totally summed me up. I simultaneously think, I'm worthless, but why aren't you listening to me? <laughs> Did you ever use that line in, in the uh, script? Oh, oh, I have, many times. <laughs> if, you, if you hear that in Modern Family. Yeah, no, I've, I don't think we got it on my I've used. I That's made it on TV a couple times. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Um, so what was your major in college then? I was a, um, you know, a, a TV, radio, film, and an English major. I saw you had a, a dual major. Yeah, was radio anything that interested you at the no, time? It no, just, it was called TRF. That was what it was. So, yeah. And I was really, really, I just really took to TV. Yeah. I mean, I did a couple of short films, but I just early on saw that TV was like, oh, that seems like that's run by writers. Yeah. I, at the, you know, and for, a, you know, TV has just always been funnier than like you're, you're you know, I'd say this, like a, 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 an average Simpsons yeah. has more laughs in it than you name the comedy blockbuster. Of course. And yeah. It's just, and so I like that for comedy and I like the idea of that. So, and I grew up watching all the 
classic, you know, sitcoms and. But what were the shows growing up that influenced you the most? My God, I mean, I I definitely remember being a little kid and Saturday night. I, I don't know how old you are, but Saturday night was the night of television in the seventies. So it was like when I was like, I don't know, eleven or twelve. Um, it was there was uh, Mary Tyler Moore on the family, right? Yeah, all the family. Bob Newhart show, which was without yes. a doubt probably my favorite. Yeah, and then you had Carol Burnett. Oh yeah, and then you'd have, and then you'd have, you know, and then obviously SNL. But the one that got me of that group was like, and then SCTV, which mm-hmm. was like my absolute favorite. And of course, you know, Monty Python and all that stuff. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, a pretty wide gamut of, of. I liked everything. I mean, I yeah. just really, and I, you know. You know, I remember listening, you know, first time I ever heard Steve Martin, I thought like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I remember the, also like first time I saw Airplane. I saw Airplane in the theater. Not- I just saw that last week. Really? Again. It's still fucking funny. It's so good. Because most comedy, most comedy in film particularly. It does not hold up. Not at all. I, I, I've done this with my kids where like, you got to watch this. You're going to love and this. Like, it's like, Dad. oh God, oh God. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. And I remember going with my family to see Airplane, not knowing what it was. And it was like, I could not believe it. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. My babysitter took me to it was, Airplane. It was, it was unbelievable. And it was like, these people are speaking my, literally like, you know, there's a, okay. So I used to do this bit in, when I was in high school, people would draw on their notebooks. You know, you'd have these big loose leaf books and they'd write like the logos of their favorite bands. Yeah. Like they'd write, you know, ACDC this. But I would always write, so I did it, but I would do like, I would try and come up with like, I had Captain and Tennille or, um, uh, and one of the big ones in big letters was Ethel Merman. I'd put across as a joke. And then Ethel Merman shows up in airplane. <laughs> I was like, oh, these are my people. So after you graduate from college, I imagine it looks, it's pretty, ad- a daunting situation you're in syracuse yeah but you were living in jersey though i was my dad threw me out pretty he threw you out well he had remarried and um so we lived in a i grew up in a fairly nice house in a town called livingston new jersey when he remarried uh he uh uh got an even bigger house in short hills i always tell this pretty funny story um in retrospect i can talk about it but like i got home and it was the first t- home from college i see the house and it's this beautiful house in short hills new jersey and um my dad collected cars and so it's like i go into the garage and there was like all these cars in a carpeted garage beautiful going to the house everything is appointed it's like okay where am i staying where am i staying going in every room beautifully appointed i get to my room um, where I'm going to stay. And there's like a foam mattress on the floor. <laughs> there are no blinds on the windows. Oh my God. Or a bath curtain. And so I thought, it was like, it was clear he was like looking for me to just sort of, yeah, my obligation is done. So I, I accommodated. But yeah, I thought I was going to get, you know, I actually thought, I was really cocky and I got out of college. I was like, you know, I'd produced some funny stuff in Syracuse. I thought, I'm just going to get hired. I mean, I, I'd be nuts not to. And I got like, I managed to get like some of my stuff to Letterman and I, they, they, you know, I like, had, were you writing jokes for the top 10 or just everything? I, I was basically writing, I wrote like, it, they, they, there wasn't like even a formal packet. I'd write some jokes and some bits. And then I showed them like this comedy reel I had done too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had a meeting with one of, the, one of the writers who seemed to like me and then nothing. And, yeah. and then I wrote back, nothing. Saturday Night Live, nothing. And I was like, holy fuck, this yeah. is really bad. I'm not getting anything. And, uh, it was very, uh, it was, it was, it was crazy. So I wound up like opening up the New York Times, and I uh, looked for, I saw just any television job, and it was like associate producer, uh, public television show needed. And when I got there, it was the social service agency that dealt for, was for parents with kids with developmental disabilities like Down syndrome, and it was to make training tapes for the parents, which is not the greatest spot for like a comedy writer. I did meet yes. my, the woman who became my wife there because she was oh, a wow. social worker, uh, although we didn't get together just at that point but yeah that wasn't going well and then just by a, a random luck um i'd done an internship with this guy and he was over at fox and howard stern was producing was going to do a late night talk show that was going to follow the joan rivers show oh wow at that time and it never aired but they it, we produced five episodes um over the course of a couple months and uh, got really in with those guys, and um, so like, Howard in particular, like personally with Howard. Yeah, Howard was really kind to me, and uh, like er- early on. I mean, and this is right before. This is right when he had, he had just left WNYC, uh, WNBC, <laughs> and then he had gone over to K Rock, 
and yeah, which is really where he started launching from well okay yeah well and nbc was where he really got but it was from k-rock that he became national yeah so he was only in new york city at that point and um but he was it was like i was and i people used to send me cassette tapes of him from new york city when i was up at school because i was a huge fan and uh but i had to drive like a script out to his house or something for a thing and it was a long and it was like he knew it had taken me a long time i was like hey stay and like i'm in howard stern's kitchen this little infant daughters there and um he makes me he's like i don't eat and he made me a tuna fish sandwich like, how, and i was like what is this is the weirdest yeah like, but like at that time my my girlfriend of on and off for five years she dumped me and um i was running out of money and uh so i lived with baba Bowie for like a couple months oh my god and he's like he's been at my wedding i was at his he's been he's been a lifelong friend who's also doing stand comedy no Suttering john no baba Bowie. oh wait that's not no, Baba Booey and Suttering John well, are Who's Baba Booey? Gary Delabate, the producer. Oh, 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 God, I got confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Suttering John is doing it. I, I met him for, through that also, but uh, yeah. Crazy. Okay, so so you're an intern on the Stern Show. Well, I was a, he calls me an intern to this day, but I was a, I was a production assistant. Your production assistant. Yeah. Is, is there really a difference? I was paid. And okay, it wasn't for paid. the radio show, it was for a TV show. For the TV show. So you were able to parlay that into something else? or did it Well, there was another producer there when that show didn't go who liked me who said come out to la you have to be here in a couple of weeks wow um, that's a big move then it, it was i knew and it was like i had nothing in new york at that point i was like really city eat me alive so at this point because i know that the and a lot of people on this podcast you know we've talked about this the move to la is always a really interesting move because it represents like this is it this is the move this is where your dreams lay it's terrifying because it usually represents sort of not negating your family, but going against familial wishes, and and I mean, were your parents supportive of this? Is something like I don't think did he matter? I, I think my dad was happy I was going far away. <laughs> so, um, I'm, you know, my folks were separated at that point, and so okay. um, my mom was actually out of the country, um, and I. Uh, okay, so you were sort of free to yeah okay, yeah. The, g- g- leaving my family was not like a huge issue. Did you get for me. in the car and drive cross country. I did. It was. I did. I got Classic. with a friend. Yeah, that was a fun story too. I my dad. I'm not gonna tell that story. No, but, tell it, tell it. Okay, tell. so I was thinking about my cheap dad. So it's like I said, Dad, I'm like I got this job opportunity. He's like excited for. I could tell. Yeah, I'll go, okay, go. Um, I I only have this much. I have like eight hundred dollars saved or something or something. Can I just? Can you? I'll put this in down payment. And get me a car. You know. By the way, at this point, he had like a Mercedes, a couple Porsches. Yeah, you don't Pantera. only die on the road over the Rocky Mountains. He puts in a few hundred extra dollars and gets me a 1978 Ford Fairmount station wagon <laughs> with 95,000 miles on it already. Oh my god, death trap! And I was like, okay, thanks, Dad. And then we didn't talk for a couple of years, but um, <laughs> we 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 got good at the end. But anyway, I drove out here with a friend and and, and came out here. I went to be a, like basically they wanted me a researcher on a show that was supposed to be like the daily show it was a show called the wilton north report you don't remember it i promise um but um it was a disastrous time but on that show were some amazing writers there was you know this like the, the team of greg daniels and and conan o'brien were on that yes. you know nell scoville um a lot of really good people and that show and i was able to sort of like people there could see i was sort of funny and i thought like i was getting somewhere there and then that show went down and then um so that was when it got scary for me because i was here and i you moved out for the show that went down how quickly did it go down a couple months couple couple months months. and then then that winter was a a writer's strike oh wow and you know i was in the guild yet but nothing was going on so it was like i had a great tan (laughs) but i also went into crazy debt like my solution to staying here was to i'm gonna you know what i'll do i'll just apply for Credit every card, credit, credit card. card yeah and i just lost i mean i think i'm only now just got my credit back um are you serious <laughs> no no I, but, but it took me till about like i was probably 23 at that time and i i don't think i had credit of any appreciable kind till i was like 29 okay yeah. a long time yeah and um but then um one of the producers on that was doing a show said who, who was on that Wilton North report wound up becoming the executive producer on um, this new late night talk show. And it was the Arsenio Hall show okay, and said, Hey, it was really big for a while. Yeah. And she said, uh, you know, I can't hire you as a writer right away because we have our staff, but if you want to come on, you know, and so I did. And I, you know, no one knew what that show was going to be. And sure. it turned out like it was a huge hit. Like we just like, it became a huge hit. 
After and also a seminal show. Seminal. The first black late night talk show host, right? Everything. Yeah. yeah. First black late night talk show host. First time black acts were getting on late night. I mean, he beat. He was beating Johnny Carson and 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 Jay Leno in, on, in the ratings for for a number of times. It was a huge fucking deal. Um, and after the first thirteen weeks of that show. Um, Arsenio it became a huge hit and Arsenio just he got rid of half the writing staff and that was like on a Friday and so I'm there as a, like a basically a PA yeah and I just that weekend I just go back and type on a typewriter <laughs> um, Smith Corona yeah my, uh, my yeah exactly a bunch of jokes and I give I'm friendly with one of the writers I hand them to him to put in the pat and, and you know just to submit because you don't care where the jokes come from if they're coming and yeah. that night on Monday like Arsenio he did one of my jokes and then that was really it was like the first time I ever heard anything on TV and his opening monologue yeah and the opening monologue I got one joke in the monologue do you remember what it is I don't at all I swear and I'm sure it was <laughs> terrible um, and then the next week I got um, uh, two jokes in and the next Tuesday I got two jokes in and by Thursday I had a sizable amount of the monologue as a PA. Like he just oh, kept picking wow. my jokes and on Friday basically he hired me as now, a writer. Are you getting paid for the jokes at this point? No, I'm just a PA. And you're not getting any credit either? No, nothing. Okay, you love the fact that you get you see it on TV. Uh, this is my audition but it's like it's getting in there. I'm yeah, with, of course. With the, and, so, and that was basically what Arsenio said to me. It's like, well, you we had a problem because I'm using a lot of your jokes and I don't feel good about that so I either have to fire you or hire you and I said, I would really prefer you hire me <laughs> and he did and I, he was like oh, the first wow. guy to ever give me like, I was the first guy I got paid to really you know uh paid writing job yeah and you know that was that was that so that's the me. beginning that's probably what you consider your first big break then that I was think. that really yeah. was i mean you have all these little big breaks along the way but yeah that was my first big break now the arsenio hall show also i mean it also famously kind of flamed out what, what was that about because it was such a huge show and then was it just cultural trends that sort of yeah i mean i don't know i mean i think it hit the mark at a real at, at one I don't know I, I you know I, I I'm gonna be honest like I I never fully I was so in there I neither understood its success nor its demise yeah I left before the end I wound up getting um my first uh yeah I wound up you know transitioning into sitcoms and so I spent some of that time on that show you know specking out material and uh you know got um and so I had moved on at that point by the time it had, had ended. But, uh, yeah. So the transition from writing one-liners to writing a sitcom, I mean, I, I, I've written a couple sitcoms. One I took, like, tons of meetings on, went all the way up the pole. Uh-huh. It was called I Met My Daughter on Facebook, which is, I mean, I'm sure that's a working title because they probably couldn't use that for legal purposes. It's a great title. But it, it's also based on a true story because I had a daughter from a one-night stand. I found out when she was two and a half years old. And um, the, oh my gosh. the mother was was suffering from some psychological problems. So there was a time after I found out and I was getting involved in my child's life that they disappeared. That's crazy. And when my daughter was around eight years old, she contacted me on Facebook. And that's how I got back in touch with my daughter. So I anyway, the point is... What a cool story. So I tried to write this pilot about it. And first of all, writing a sitcom is not a natural thing to do it it, it it has very not strict rules but I feel like there's a structure there is a structure yeah. that you have to sort of respond to and work well in and if you don't it's just I feel like film for me is much easier to deal with yeah it depends I mean I I, I, I yeah I mean I, it's it's weird and you never know if you can do it until you start doing so it so when you I wrote the spec did you did you have books were you looking at I'd read dialogue? other scripts you know yeah. I, I remember at the time going down to the writers guild and reading a bunch of old cheers scripts and then I uh, you know I spec'd out a Seinfeld and I spec'd out uh, Simpsons so that's big. what people used to because they don't really do that anymore because it used to be if you wanted to be a writer you'd look at an existing show that yeah. was a hit and you'd write a spec script like here's a possible episode yeah. and send it in and they would maybe hire you on staff, right? Yeah, yeah, but almost never the show that you were writing the spec for. Got it. But it was just as a sample. So you'd write that in a pilot. I still like reading spec scripts more because yeah. I, I um, pilots are hard. I mean, pilots are hard for really seasoned writers because you have to establish a lot of stuff. But a spec script where you know all the characters, I, I kind of see how you do on a day-to-day basis, which I kind of liked. But yeah, so I wrote those, and I wound up getting a job. I mean, there's a couple middle steps, but I wound up getting a job on um, Evening Shade with Burt Reynolds. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was uh, um, uh, 
Yeah, my first three were, I had a lot of crazy- and Evening Shade, that was a sitcom too, a yeah? sitcom, yeah. yeah. That was like kind of the first. I was a story editor on that show, which is a low-level writer. Yeah. But I did well over there. And then when that show went down, the guy who was running that show recommended me to a guy who was running Roseanne at the time, and I got Roseanne. Wow. That so was, that's, that's a big quantum jump from there. Huge. Now, how was it- now, I don't want to get too much into like slinging mud, but- Work on Even Shade with Burt Reynolds must have been, there must be stories on that. I Tons. Mean. Well, my, yeah. first, I just, my first experiences in sitcoms were Burt Reynolds, post-Lonnie divorce, alcoholic, yeah. uh, drunk, closeted, whatever. Um, nuts. Like, really, genuinely nuts and terrifying. Um, dude. Um, uh, just like, it was a, just a toxic stage. And there were good people that I liked talking to. Yeah, there was Charles Gerning, Mary Lou Henner. There were like um, Michael G- Michael Jeter. There were like a lot of really cool people. But um, but he was not one of them. <laughs> then I went to Roseanne, which was like, there were fortunately a lot and of- And this right- is uh, for the pilot? Oh, no, no. This is like season five. Season five, okay. Um, and But that was also But scary. season five at this point, that show is- Huge. Oh, we're like the number one sitcom on TV. And it's getting, what, 30 million a oh, week it's crazy. or more? It's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, but that was nuts and a scary show. And then. Why the, was that a scary show? Is it pressure or? Yeah, I mean, she was just so volatile. So she was also volatile then. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It wasn't the ambient. <laughs> no, she was, at that point, it was multiple personality disorder or whatever. But the thing about her was this, I'll, I'll say this to the day, it's like, what differentiates her from like. Like what was amazing? Like she was crazy yeah. and mean, and I don't like her, but she—you can't deny that she's funny. Like yes. she was genuinely funny. Like yeah. she knew where the joke was. She was generous with jokes. Like she was like she would let Laurie Metcalf have her moment, or she would let John Goodman have her moment, or any of those kids have the moment. And it was like, and she knew she was very skilled and smart about that. She was nuts, but that. I went from there to the opposite, which was. Um, uh, Grace Under Fire with Brett Butler, and which that was, also seems was also a huge show. Huge, but that was that was um, five times the crazy, and, really, and one tenth the funny. So it was like it was a very deadly combination. <laughs> so at this point, you're like, what the fuck am I doing in the sitcom world? Because everyone's a fucking it, nut job. It was <laughs> horrifying. And then I I remember like I think the first like normal show I got on, I was under like a deal. And I, it was like I, I was brought in like. So a, then at one point you got a deal. So that's a good. Uh, no, that was good. I did a pilot that didn't go. I got my first pilot didn't go. But they put me wound up putting me on. Um, what's the fucking show? Um, yeah, I, it wound up like episode. There, just shoot me. Did a very short season. They did like um a six season first season, and they brought me on for for the sixth episode, and then we went rolled into the next season. But I remember being on that set, and it was like everybody's really nice i could not i felt like what's happening <laughs> like you know it's like wendy malik is like oh you know coming in she remembered right. something it's like what are you what's joe the, rogan what? right well no that was uh, uh that was um um no so david spade david spade yeah, yeah. Okay. and i love spade and he yeah, was and, and he was just uh he was he's nice to this day love him and 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 but everybody was just great it was like and so it's like oh this is how it can be this is how it can be and yeah. how long are you on that show um a couple years I wound up going over doing a Warner Brothers deal and like I had, yeah. So when you move from one show to another, I mean, is it always sort of like a combination of you and your management and your team deciding when to move or do you just get sick and go, I got to move? Um, <laughs> sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's the show. I was very good at ending shows sometimes. Um, <laughs> but sometimes it was just like you got a better deal. Like I basically, I was like when I was doing the um, just shoot me um and i'm like looking there warner brothers was interested in helping me having me help out on some of their shows and um and they came up with some money and i was like okay and this is back when they were giving deals to sort of mid-level writers and i was like okay cool there's a golden age of that yeah and so i you know i took it so when you're writing a pilot and you're originating a show that and i imagine as a pilot you wrote by yourself you had a writing partner i um i've done both but yeah you've done both I, I imagine that seeing that come to fruition and being a part of that is probably even the most rewarding thing as a writer, maybe? It is, although it's also, it depends, because sometimes, it's, at least for me in those early ones, I, you may be getting the opportunity to do these pilots, but I also don't have enough clout to tell people no. Yeah. And I don't have the experience to tell people no. And and so it can it got, like now I do, um, but at the time, so a, a lot of them I view as 
quite painful experiences. Although I wound up doing the pilot, I wound up doing, and I wrote it with the Whites brothers. It's um, um, you know, uh, Paul Whites and yeah, and, and um, but um, we, but they and they had just come off of American Pie, and um, were shooting about a boy at the time, and he, um, Chris Whites had this uh, idea for a, a multicam. And I basically helped them write it, and they credited me in there. And we had a show, on, and it was on the WB for two seasons called Off Center. And she wouldn't remember either, but it was. Uh, um, but like a lot of people in that, like John Cho was in that show. And, He's great, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so um, now all of this has happened. So obviously, you at this point, you were in a, you were in a very select fold of people. Yeah, I feel like writers. I got into that good group. You're in that fold now. Um, do you at this point you go? I want to do this. Is there an actual goal that you look at? Like, is the, is the ultimate goal to be a showrunner, or is it just to? Well, I mean, I you know, I ha- I was showrunning off center, and I've showrun a few other things, or helped come step in and showrun. Yeah, but yeah, it was ultimate is to create your own thing. That is, you know, I mean, that that would be the ultimate. I don't know, you know, it's it's hard. It's like I I, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to have created, you know, I I'd love to have you know create a modern family. I love to do or create that thing. And I have ideas and I, I, I keep swinging, but you know, it's, uh, you just gotta, it's a, you know, show business is a getting punched in the face contest. <laughs> and it's like, and unfortunately like they, you know, it's been okay because now I, you know, I, I have no feeling in my face and, yeah. and, and when I pass out, I can afford a good doctor, but <laughs> it's hard now to be a showrunner. Cause a lot of people don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, and actually I, I don't necessarily know what it is other than the fact that it is the person who is in charge of basically everything yes. creatively, right? You're thinking about and you have to be kind of an asshole or sort of, in a way, right? You have because you have to, you like you said, you have to say no. You have to be able to put people in their place. It's like really an intra. I've talked about this in therapy and in various situations, <laughs> but yeah, if you're a people pleaser, which I think I essentially was, sure. And and I basically, you know, had a career, but I think most people said nice things about me, um, uh, and I never tried to be an asshole, but. There's no way you can run a show. Because when you run a show, you have to fire people. Yeah. Like, it's part of it. And it's oh, like, I God. never fired. Do you remember the first time you fired someone? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It was rough. Was it an actor or producer? Or was it was, it a uh, um, well, there's, there's one where I had to, um, I joined, I was co-running it with somebody, but we, I, I wanted to take the lead. I was, it was, it was a writer who I liked. But um, I won't even say I won't even mention the show. But it was just like it, it was somebody who was really smart, good writer. But every day would come in, and it was not a great show. Yeah, and every day it's like oh, this stupid show. And, so he's just dragging down the whole set. At that yeah, point. and it's like we knew. It's like I and, and so finally, and I kept trying to get him there. And finally, he came in. I said, "We're, we're not picking you up for next season." I, it's like here's the thing: like we all, you're not the only person who knows this show is shitty. Like yeah. every day we know how shitty the show is. So our job, so the goalpost for our show is how can I make this show shitty show that's <laughs> this shitty 1% less shitty? And that's victory here. Of course. And 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 if I have to hear about how shitty it is all the time, I can't do that. So you just gotta, yeah. we're all too good for this show. So when you told them that, he must be like, ah, I get it. Yeah, he did. Okay. He did. And I've talked to him since. And he, I don't think he has been. But I actually, I did. I, 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 I went through a string where I was firing um, uh, uh, casting directors all the time. Why would you fire a caster? They're just bringing people that are like not good. No, I don't care about that. I, 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 I'm always, I'm always interested in the relationship with casting directors and producers. This is what, this is what it is. Yeah. I, and I've heard this from a, this, this is, if you're a casting director, don't do this because <laughs> we will all talk about you. But I remember coming out of um, uh, a network, bringing somebody to the network on a show. And uh, we brought like in three choices. The network picked none of them. And I, you know, I thought two of them really tanked. And I thought one of them was good and could have been there, but it wasn't the case. Yeah. And so I'm going down on the elevator with this woman and I'm like, real, I'm kind of bummed out. And the casting woman says to me, it's like, we're never going to find them and i said and i just got really angry i said okay no it's like what it's like you don't get to say that like i get to say this is how let's do this conversation over again i said (laughs) i go we're never going to find them and then you say oh no danny we are we'll get them yeah we'll get it that's that's your job not i don't it's not my job to build you up on that and then there was one more thing and i just i, I said i can't this is not working for me yeah because and and you know casting agents can be very uh ca- they, they can be 
they get, they're, 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 they're interesting because some of them who aren't as good, I know some who are the greatest. Yeah, I currently worked with the greatest. I worked with the greatest. But some of them can be quite, quite fragile. Of course. Uh, like in, in the way that actors are. Yes. And it's like because they, they're, they're in that world. And well, yeah, casting directors also, it's a very, one of my best friends was a guy named Mark Bennett. You probably don't know him. He was a, a he still is a casting director. That name he, sounds familiar to me. He actually. worked with, um, Hopkins Smith Barden for a long time. That's where he started. Anyway, yeah. it's mostly independent, independent film, but um, it is a very insecure business in the sense that you're really, unless you're at a studio, you're freelancing. Yeah. And you're always like hustling for your job. Right. And it's always at risk and you're always at a place where your creative input can be completely dismissed yeah. by the director and the producers. Absolutely. And some, some, uh, you know, I'll take another one. Some, uh, some casting directors take it very personally. And some cast, my friend would tell me multiple occasions where he would, it became his mission to talk producers and directors out of casting certain people. I mean, I, that, that definitely happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tricky though, but that, I, I, I also think that happens in everything in the business though. Like, like, uh, so, um, you know, when I write a, uh, I, I write a modern family, I write the first draft of it, but it ceases to belong to me after that it belongs to the room yeah. and so we then will rewrite it and i may have a joke that i really firmly believe is the best joke yeah and the room of really smart other people may disagree with me and not only that they may replace it with a joke that i think no, is inferior no sucks yeah that i know sucks but i'm wrong a lot of the time and you just have to like you, 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 you can't be hung up because most of the time, if you hire good people around you, and certainly was the case of Modern Family, they always made anything I wrote better. Always. Sure, sure. I mean, I could argue with this or that as they could argue with this or that there. Always made it better. Yeah. Always. Well, that's great because a lot of people, the, the best director, because I'm a theater nerd at heart. Yeah. And the best director I ever worked with who's now doing really well in uh, TV is... Uh, Tommy Kale. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, have you met him? I have. Yeah, he's a fucking. He's like this. Uh, he's so smart, it pisses me off. But um, also he was a guy. This is a quick story. I did a show on Broadway called Lombardi, and there was a monologue that my character said. Um, I played a guy named Paul Horning for the Green Bay Packers. Uh -huh. about, and I was talking about how Vince Lombardi had this voice, made this dog like, and it was yeah. this really kind of funny comics goofy monologue. And it was like a moment for me in this big Broadway production, right? Yeah. Judith Light, Dan Laurie was in it. Wow. And um, the Tommy and I guess people, the NFL or whatever, they decided, let's cut the monologue. So Tommy's like, Bill, we got to cut the monologue. And they replaced it with a scene about fucking free agency or something. And I was like, Tommy, you can't, it's so essential to my character. Uh -huh. And he was like, convince me. Like, convince me. Here, we're talking. Convince me. And I just fucking went back to my college days spouting the most bullshit I could possibly muster to convince him that it was right. And by the end, he's like, okay, man, we'll keep it. Wow. Those stories never end that way. You so, know that. Of course. Nine months into this run. Oh, it was a nine month, ran for nine months. Two months into the run, I was like, oh, this monologue's stupid. Like, I realized. They were right. That they were 100% right. Yeah. But Tommy, it was more important for him to give me something. That's amazing. And that's just who he is because he's, he's, I think that what happens to a lot of people who are creative is, and I don't know why this exists, but a lot of people who are creative, they get so territorial about their, their IP and what they're creating that if you're an actor and you want to give input to it, they get really offended. Oh, like, why this, would you? This happens with writers. This happens with directors. We had a, um, I worked with a, a, a woman, I was kind of mean, but um, once, and uh, she was somebody who would really get married to her joke and so like as I, an actress or no, she's uh, a, as a writer as a writer yeah. and you know and sometimes they were you know but it just happened and so like i would just start to do this bit in the room where i go i now you know after she'd go on and he'd come back again i go i now pronounce you joke and wife <laughs> and then and then i it, that eventually ended with me like even bringing in rice to throw in the room and <laughs> playing the wedding mark dun, 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 and, and, and at the end of a joke when, when it would go on and so that that sort of short circuit that but yeah people are yeah people by the way i'm i'm uh, i married into the lombardis my my wife is a lombardi not that lombardi, but lombardi from new jersey though yeah i mean that's where they're from they are i know they're not related no my my my, my father-in-law who for years it's like you know they're jersey so everybody like you know the giants yeah and it was like well I don't like the Giants. I like Green Bay. 
It's like, you like Green Bay because your last name is Lombardi. No, that has nothing to do with it. Like, oh, <laughs> shut up. Why are you in New Jersey rooting for Green Bay? <laughs> is that where they started, right? He's, him and his wife, they yeah, started in New Jersey yeah, yeah. Giants. Um, so when did Modern Family come about? Because obviously that is, of all the feathers in your cap, oh, that's, that's crazy. the biggest feather, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, this is just like, it's all, I was one, I was a very lucky son of a bitch to the time I was like, like early 40s. And um, I got... Um, and right around the time of that big writer's strike, which is about 12 years ago. Were you involved with that? Didn't you sort of, weren't you one of the guys who's at the forefront of that? Well, I just, I did a lot. I, that's where I started to create like funny videos and stuff like that. So I was very. So, so elucidate what that was to people who don't know. Because even I'm, I'm a little unsure. So um, there was a huge writer's strike about 12 years ago um, uh, between the, this, you know, it was just like, it, it was a real shutdown for months of the, of the business. That, yeah. And uh, it was, it was dealing with like, uh, there were there were there were there were issues in there about like okay TV's changing what about DVD residuals which I thought were some but like also what about like there there was a hint that there could be some other platforms that these things could be on and they were talking about lowering guild minimums and so I was like for it but I was like I was broke so um, and while I was there I just started you know YouTube was just coming up and so me and a friend made a, a viral video that was me. Um, uh, singing, I'd really love to see you tonight as a writer to a guy who was wearing, uh, who had a box on his head that had all the networks on his uh, on his face, <laughs> and I was just singing a love song to him. Yeah, um, but uh, so you were a hero for the writers doing that. Well, moment. no, I was just I got I got some yeah. notoriety from that. Do you think that that made a difference in terms of how the strike laid out? No, not at all. No, no, I, I think it made some people laugh. I don't think I had any <laughs> impact at all. I wish I could say, um, but right up until that, I was under a deal, and I and uh, at Fox and then Fox didn't pick up my deal right before the writer's strike and a, a couple of shows I thought I was going to get hired on I didn't and I was like uh oh and I went a year without working and I thought oh fuck this is it like I'm out of the business so wow. uh, my good name is my good name is over and um, I spec'd out some stuff I spec'd out some drama stuff which I, I've always which wanted to done before no and I really I still have one of them I really am actually trying to shop now again because yeah. I, I, I've rewritten it but um, this guy by the name of Noah Hawley read it who now is the guy who's done the Fargos and stuff but at the yeah. time he had a show in New York uh, shooting in New York called The Unusuals which was a cop show kind of a weird cop show and what starring like uh, a, a then unknown right before Hurt Locker Jeremy Renner yeah and um and it was really fun and I did that for a year and then that show didn't get picked up but I thought okay I'm gonna move into it was really cool to be the funny guy on a drama set well, because every drama needs comedy obviously they do and and so like I, I sort of felt like I was being treated like a shaman like because all these experienced <laughs> fucking drama writers would come in with their scripts and go yeah I just need something a little quirky here and I go well, what if you did that and they're like, oh, how did he do it? Don't disturb the wise man. <laughs> and, and so then I had come out here and I was like going to get, um, I came back and I was like interviewing. I had a couple offers on some dramas out here. When Steve Levitan came, called me, who I'd worked with on Just Shoot Me, and I knew Chris Lloyd. And those guys didn't hire me on the show called uh, Back to You. It was one of the people that didn't hire me on Fox, and um, which was a show with Kelsey Grammer and um, Patricia Heaton. Multicam. They should have hired me. It would have been on longer. But anyway, but there was like a little bit of bad feeling with me on them because I thought like, uh, oh, for me, I'm like, yeah. I was like, ah, I just didn't talk. I didn't ever burn a bridge or anything, but I was like feeling bad. And so then Steve called me and hey, you know, Chris and I come up with this other show. And I was like, I had two job offers. And I said, okay, I'll come see it. But I was going to go see it and go, ah, and then like spring it on him. So what, you went to go see the pilot? Yeah. Taping? No, no. He had a, a rough cut of the pilot. Okay. They're, 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 they're getting, they're, they're, they think they're going to get a pickup. So you have the other offers, you see a rough cut of the show that you already have a little bit of trepidation going into it. Yeah. What's it going to be? I've got like offers on like some successful dramas i'm gonna like go to that uh mid-level dramas and um i start watching the pilot i watch and i'm honestly 10 minutes into the pilot and i am like oh my fucking god hire me please hire. Yeah. this is the best where do i sign where do i sign this is the best pilot i'd ever seen and yeah. they did and um and it was yeah it changed my life wow so you were involved with with writing after the pilot every episode every episode and how many seasons did that run 11 it just ended this year, right? Yeah, last year. yeah. We just uh, last episode aired this spring. Now I know people always say that when something ends, you're never really ready for it to end. Did Did you feel that way when it ended? Did you feel, come on, guys, we can get a few more, or was it something that you, you know, felt like? I um, 
you feel everything at once. Yeah. You know, to be honest, like we probably, there are part of me that thinks that creatively maybe we should have ended it much earlier. But, um, you know, there was also that part of me that thought like, hey, there's a lot of people here. There's like, you know, know, this, this show employs like 300 people and it will go as long as we decide it will go. Yeah. And you have to make, you know, there's a real calculation about that. It's like you're printing money here for people. Yeah. It's a pleasant place to work. You're still doing good work. But it was very difficult. Those The last few seasons were very difficult to sort of squeeze out stories that you hadn't done. I always say, like, you know, when people would come up to me and be like, you know, oh, we love the show, especially the other seasons. It's like, I was like, the most interesting family you've ever met, ever. Yeah has 10 stories that they tell at parties. Yeah. That's a lot. The Obamas maybe have 12. (laughs) That's it. Those are the anecdotal stories that they have. And each one of these families, each one of these three families, at least has had 250. Yeah. So, of course, you're you're just like, you can't, there's only so much you can, you know, it's just very, very hard. And I imagine the pressure after a while, because, yeah. and again, this is another very seminal show. I mean, I think this show did so much for the LGBTQ community. um, Completely. And uh, politically, I, I felt like it was one of the first shows that had a political stamp that was very democratic. Yes. And, and, and very um, pro pro gay, obviously yeah. pro gay. Right? And this is before before gay marriage was even legal. Yeah, I mean, what was subversive about the show was that it wasn't subversive. It was, it was, um, you know, we didn't always succeed. But the best episodes we did in those first seasons were not about Mitch and Cam's character sure. being gay. We wrote those. We wrote those. We 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 plumbed all of our own experiences. At least the straight writers did on that show. Um, from like, what was it like having a new child? Yeah, like you know, the, the all of the mistakes you make with a new child, and over caring and trying to get things right and this that, and so those were the driving forces. And of course, you know, obviously the gay stuff would play in, but it was never that. And you know, the most fascinating thing and I think everybody who ever worked on Modern Family is particularly the actors but I've had this a couple times I remember going to speak at my alma mater which was Syracuse um, like I don't know maybe during season three and I was speaking and then went out with some I had some friends who I was in Syracuse with who met me and we went out to the old bars and we're getting drunk with the kids and then this kid this like real like tall lanky southern kid real thick southern accent i could see he's really nervous about talking he wants to talk to me and i could see he's almost like shaking you know this little (laughs) kid and he's like i just got it and he just told me this story and he's like i so um i'm grew up in alabama um you know complete conservative family uh christian family um uh it was in the closet all the way through it was here but couldn't tell my anyway i came home last thanksgiving a year ago thanksgiving and um my dad is really eager to show me the show he's like hey, i want you to watch this show it's like what it's like yeah it's show modern family it's like you want to watch well I, I, I taped a couple and so they, they they he sat there and he watched it and really the father laughed really hard at the mitch and cam stuff and it was the father saying to the son like if you want to talk about this i'd be cool with it and the wow. kids started to break down with me and crying it's like you know that's i just i think all of us just wanted to tell funny stories yeah i think we all come from this point of view where whether someone's i I think all of the writers have come from this point of view for years certainly for me since junior high when i was in musicals and and high school but where it's like who gives a shit yeah you know i it's your your gayness has has never i used to love that all the guys in the in the musicals were sort of closeted gays because they were better looking than me but the actresses were all straight (laughs) and so i got more action i told my son what are you doing competing in sports there's this treasure trove of women oh yeah (laughs) um who are frustrated um so but um but anyway so we were not, not trying to be political but um in any way but yeah it had that effect it's sort of like it's one thing when you sort of like do those very special episodes it's another thing where it's just part of the character you know it's stealth yeah and just it's just the fact that you're making those characters mainstream and acceptable yeah and, and yeah. everybody from, from from that standpoint they're watching al bundy 
who they remembered on that show. It's like, look, Al Bundy is being cool with his uh, um, his gay son and, 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 and this thing. And it's like, yeah, the world's changing a little bit, but it's like not horrible. Like you just go on. This ca- These people are people's brothers and sons and fathers yeah. and um, and and daughters and, you know. And, you know, over this period of time, like, one of my twins is gay. And uh, um, and so it was, like, very, like, uh, one of the girls is. And it was, like, and I watched at their high school. It was, like, thing that would never happen at my high school. But, like, you know, my son was, like, you know, they're going to the prom and, like, we're having a prom party. And, like, there's, like, two boys, like, two boy couples there. Yeah. And, like, they're just going. And it's, like, yeah, it's, like, yeah. they don't care at all. They don't. It's crazy. Yeah, but of course, then I'm also not allowed to say things like, oh, "That's I, I can't say anytime my son won't do anything." Like it's like, "You want to go outside? Uh, yeah, you want to go? Um, want to take a walk with me?" It's like, "No, I'm watching TV. I'm, I, I got to do homework." And I and I'll say, "Gay." Yeah, and he doesn't like that. Of, which is which is so funny because obviously it has nothing to do with sexual orientation. No, I know, but it's he's just probably right. And I said, "Okay, <laughs> you're just being retarded." No, and then he doesn't like that either. Oh, believe me, I have, I have a I have a 20 year old lesbian daughter. Oh, you do at Berkeley. Uh, tw- my 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 twenty two year old uh, lesbian daughter was briefly at Mills College, all girls school, right up around there. Yeah. So, yeah. so my daughter is always always trying to like uh, uh, tell me how unwoke I am. Yeah, I'm I'm constantly. <laughs> well, I always tell them. I you know my 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 daughter's. What what has she told you though? Well, a lot of it a lot of it has to do with with language. Yeah. Particularly, she's a big advocate in the trans community. So is mine. And um, so the, she, the pronouns. She thinks my comedy is can be very mean. Uh, yeah. And again, like when I do stand up, I'm just trying to make people laugh. Of course, right. And sometimes you got to hit some low hanging fruit to make people laugh. Sure. And um, she's she likes John Mulaney, and so all these comics she mentions, I'm like, I want my daughter to be a fan of my comedy. So it, yeah. it made me kind of. I, I've retired a lot of words, a lot of jokes that yeah. that work, and I find funny. But I was like. Okay, because I used to say, I used to do a joke where I'd say, uh, I talk about going on a date with a vegan, and um, she was correcting my language, which is a real thing, and like, I called the waitress a girl, she goes, she's not a girl, she's a woman. I'm like, I can't say girl? She's like, no. I'm like, well, that's fucking retarded. <laughs> I go, what's that? You can't say retard? Or what's the, what's the proper term? Trump supporter? So I kind of, like, <laughs> I took something that offended all the liberals, yeah, and, then, yeah, and yeah. then I got them on my side. But then then someone said... I'm a real fan of your stuff, and the second you do that, I just dropped out. The second you say that word, uh-huh. and I, I, I kind of like took that to heart, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to like retire that as a word. You know, these are really, I, I view these things as small sacrifices. Yes. Like, I, I, like, honestly, I think like the net result, I do think a lot of people who complain, I, 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 people who like are overly, I think that political correctness is an issue, but I think the people who make that their number one issue are probably being, what you're upset about is you can't be an asshole. Yeah. anymore and because you know we I, yeah i was i was 10 percent funnier when i could use the r word for yeah. sure but but i i and i sort of wish we could bring retarded back just for the trump administration and then get rid of it again <laughs> but um but i understand that we can't and i won't that'd be a good tweet yeah i i i, I don't want to get the hate <laughs> speaking of speaking of tweets one thing i want to talk to you about oh, yes please. um because you're big on the twitter i am i'm a, like I'm a, I'm a phenomenon you're a phenomenon on the twitter and a lot of this comes from obviously your work in Minor Family and, and your your I, I do all your work, but but it came from a, a fight that you had with Trump, right? Yes. So how did that come about? Other than the fact that you hate Trump, obviously, and um, it was the most innocent thing. I um, so I never really like the way I got. I, I got into Twitter right around the start of Modern Family, and I, you know, I saw like people like Alex Sulkin writing jokes and Rob Delaney, and I thought like, oh, I can do those things. So I, yeah. I started doing that and getting there, and then one time. Like, celebrities were always really low-hanging fruit. I never really liked it. But the one that sort of, like, blew up for me before, and I didn't want to do it again, was, like, so there was this, there had been an earthquake in Virginia. This is back in, like, 2009. It was, like, a fairly, like, it was a big trumbler. I was, like, it, like the, they broke into the news because it's weird to have an earthquake in Virginia. And Chris Brown um, tweeted, uh, please pray for Virginia. And I tweeted back oh god what did you do to her <laughs> and it blew up and then he got mad and so i was like okay i'm done with that but anyway trump was so vi- trump was so universally hated during this period of time um up until recently that he went so he tweeted it was the most innocuous thing this he, before he was running for president yeah this is 2013 2014 so he, he basically i'm just home it's like there and i see him tweet celebrity apprentice number one show of the night and i was like 
I just tweeted back. I wrote, cool story. Here's what actually happened. And then I just posted the easily checkable fact that it finished last in its time slot. <laughs> and, um, and he blew up. And he goes, no, we were in the cinema. And it goes on. And then I was like, oh, he came back. So I thought, okay, I'll slap him down again. And you don't feel any. So at this point, and back to the Chris Brown thing, because when you go after Chris Brown, there is some, there's some rabid fans. Oh, they came at me. Came at, Jenny Johnson, same yeah, thing, Yeah, well, right? she had it worse than I did. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so... No, I, I yeah, but with Trump, like it was was amazing. Was no one was on his side? Of course. Like as this started to blow up, because everybody thought he was a joke. Like Republicans, like people, you, you have to. I, at one point, you know, you have to scroll down very far to find somebody who was like, you don't have to take that, Mister. And it's probably <laughs> his assistant writing it. Yeah. But I just kept he just kept coming out, and literally it was two hundred tweets back and forth over the course of like four months, and um and uh he uh he just. It was just this amazing uh, thing, and it was like it was like I get I'm 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 I'm, I'm vaunted for it, but really anybody who does what we I, I got I got lucky. He like responded to me. I don't know a comedy writer on earth who couldn't have taken him apart. Yeah, I don't know anybody who can't take him apart really. Yeah, but um, but I did. So it was a gift that kept on giving. You just, it was. So I, this just lasted from 2013 until no 2000 oh, oh, just through the summer of 2013. Actually, now yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and he eventually blocked me. It was but right before he blocked me. I remember getting a um, an email from him. I don't know. How I got my email, but it was like and on the email. It was just like he had scanned. I guess I had been doing something on an interview for like Slate or something online, and it was uh, my intro. They were talking about Modern Family, and it's like producer, comedian, Trump Slayer, and he had taken a yellow highlighter to it. And then with an arrow and then wrote on the thing, congratulations on this. And then with his insane signature. <laughs> and I wrote back, I wrote back, thanks, question mark. And I said, P.S. It's not shtick. I genuinely despise you. <laughs> and then he wrote back. And this is the most chilling thing. And it defines everything you could wow. ever imagine about him. He's like, if you met me, you'd like me. Interesting. And that drives him the whole time and then shortly after that i was just blocked you were just blocked and, and blocked to this day so then when he ran for president obviously like it went else. viral again in fact more it went more viral than the first time yeah like people were reporting it like it had just been happening and i like but it was like yeah it was crazy but the difference was now there were people calling me a jew faggot oh god which is only half true <laughs> i'm not jewish no um and uh but it was like and you know or you're an asshole while you are and um yeah and it was like and then the hate really began and and has not subsided did that ever did that ever feel i guess because so modern family had such a huge demographic of people watched it obviously a lot of them were republicans too right it, uh, yeah and it, it, i was very very nervous about it because it's not my show for my show i would just do it but because it was like you know Stephen chris but i and i remember when this was building up i went to the cast i said hey i don't want to, he's dragging our show into this do you mind yeah to a person to all of their credit they said no fuck him. no fuck him yeah yeah on some level that probably might also like fueled the show on yeah some level. and yeah. I, you know and i think like there is a point where you do have to take a stand. And I, I mean, I'm really proud of Jim Gaffigan. For, oh, yeah, that was for, amazing. For His what Twitter he did. Rant, yeah. yeah, and I think like it's like, because he's an apolitical guy and, and all that, but it's like, and he just said, I'm, I'm not going to, like, this is more important than filling seats. Yeah. It is. It, yeah. it just is. It's like uh, the, the state of the country. Yeah, so now, because if you go on your Twitter now, I mean, you, you're definitely ensconced in the political scene. I am. And is that something... What is is there a goal with that that links to your entertainment? Is there something that is just fun for you, or how do you? No, it's not a mission to get Trump out. It's not the least bit fun for me. I've yeah. been lucky enough to have a megaphone. I can, I can with other people with megaphones, um, organize both loudly and behind the scenes and marshal resources because I have you know it's 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 you know my grandfather. Was, was an air force captain in world war one my father was an air force captain in world war ii if all i have to do is tweet in my underwear and have like fucking inbred uh diabetics um threaten me i i, I can deal with that yeah or russian bots so one thing i want to ask you and i know I, we've been here for a while so i don't want to keep you too long yeah, but it. um where do you think the disconnect is with with what's happening with the Democratic Party and like the rest of America in terms of, for us, it's so obvious that Trump needs to go, right? Yeah. 
I think the mistake is thinking it's the rest of America. If you, we really do need to like examine what's happened here. Yeah. What's happened here is that a, a fair amount of our population, about a third of our population, receives its news from one source and has been selectively told, targeted, yeah. targeted by billionaires that their interests, look, we're going to get our tax cuts. But here's the thing. That is not why you are broke ass right now. And that is not why all the manufacturing jobs. The reason it's happening, it's not us. We're on your side. We want you to come along. It's brown people. Or it's, it's because they don't believe in, they don't care about, they don't care about race. They don't care about abortion. They don't care about religion. But they knew that that's what they could focus in on. And yeah. they've systematically been just telling these people and you know it's their low information voters, and it's it's a it's it's how fascism works, and so that's sure. the disconnect because it isn't any more about Democrat or Republican. I just don't believe it. I, I it, it never was. He's not a Republican. I mean, I, my dad was. I mean, I knew Repu You know, I have friends yeah. who are Republicans, and I, I I I can disagree with them vociferously on issues. But this is not Republicanism. Yeah, it's not. So. There's yeah a, about a grab anyway <laughs> yeah that's amazing hey danny thank you so much for coming man is there anything else what 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 are you like working is there anything else that you want to promote or anything else that you no i mean you know, follow me on twitter at danny zucker and on all my social media but um no i've got a couple things i don't want to jinx um yeah. but that i'm excited about and uh you'll we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll come back and i'll talk to you about that i would love it man this hey, has been thank fun you so much for coming man i enjoyed this yeah i'll talk to you soon you Have will night. bye, bye guys